Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. So speaking of valuable videos, viral videos are huge. You know, I've, I've known so many entrepreneurs to get uh, their videos to go viral. You know, what do you think it takes to make a viral video? And do you think that people can do it themselves? Uh, yes and no. So <laughs> what it takes to make a viral video, I, really any video can go viral. It's, it's really about the prep work that you do on spreading your viral video and then, and then making a, a video that is capable of going viral. So people make videos that are capable, capable of going viral all the time. We actually see this sometimes when somebody makes a video, uh, you know, years and years and years ago and somebody surfaces it who has the, the, the network basically, right? And then they post this thing that they just found that they thought was great, right? And then it blows up, now it's viral. But it didn't go viral when that first person made it because they didn't have that actual network or they didn't do the right things to kind of stoke the fire to make it viral. So there's two stages to it. You've gotta have that network that can blow this up, even if it's a little blow up, and then you have to have the video content that people actually find valuable, whether it's entertaining, it's informative, it's controversial, whatever it ends up being. It's like two big pieces of what makes content really viral. And I'm, I'm by no means the, the expert at viral content. I am just connected to other people who make viral content. So when I make content with somebody who has the potential, they have that network, then we get some content that, that gets some wings to it, right? And it, and it kind of blows up my level of blow up. I'm not, you know, I'm not setting with 2 million views. This is where I'm like, this is why when I look to Travis Chambers, he's that guy because he pulls in, he, he, this is what he does. He pulls in the influencers who have that network. He knows that if I pay them to be in this video, all of their audience is going to see it. He probably puts it into his contracts that they have to share it with their audience or something along those lines. And then I'm going to make bomb content because I'm really good at it. And so it's just a perfect combination. So companies will pay him a ton of money because it's guaranteed virality because he's figured out those two pieces to it. So you can do it on your own, but you've had to be pretty good at making viral content. So you got to understand the psychological, emotional triggers that make people watch content, share content, tag people in it, react to it. You have to get people to engage with that content. Um, and then you have to have that network to expand it. So this is, you could pay somebody to let you tap into their network or you know you make the right friends who let you tap into their network every now and then there's a whole bunch of different ways to approach it but you got to make sure just making good content occasionally occasionally somebody will make content that just blows up because it just so pulls at people's emotional triggers but for the most part even if you make that content it's not going to go viral without the right people pushing it that's such a good point and that's why you know influencers uh, can if utilized correctly can be such a big uh, boost to your business. But the other thing I love that you mentioned that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, uh, leaving kind of breadcrumbs of, of content, right? It's like, it's like, I'm an SEO guy, right? So I always do the long tail keywords, right? So it's kind of like putting out a bunch of content, like, you know, right now it might not go viral, but like two years from now, something, you know, an event might happen, you know, like maybe three years ago, Amy put out a video on how, you know, she's afraid of, you know, her, con her, her store going under because she's going to travel and, you know, get some, you know, weird virus or, you know, I'm just <laughs> shooting yeah. from the hip here. But in other words, you know, some event, something might happen where all of a sudden that content that you made two, three, four, five years ago becomes 
super relevant and all of a sudden it gets serviced by somebody who's got a big audience. So um, that's another great point that I, I want to mention, which, you know, a lot of it people actually don't think happened about. with, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who got himself stung by the murder hornets, right? He did that video like two years ago. And I don't know if it went by, I think he's had a pretty big audience. So it did okay for when he posted it, but it went super viral when all these stories came out of the murder hornets in the U S right. Cause people were searching right now. Right. SEO is coming in. It's pulling up this video. He's the only guy who got stung by one. Now everybody's watching this one video, right? So yeah, it just happened and it happens all the time. Like things get rediscovered actually beyond even our lifetime. If you look back at all these people who are doing amazing things in their lives, most of them were not even known during their lifetime, right? But now they're like these mega stars of information. I'm, I just bought a, a book by uh, Aristotle and I'm like, this is just crazy. I'm reading this book by this guy thousands of years old and he has no idea that I'm reading this book and it's been translated in a language he didn't even speak, didn't even know was going to exist. Yeah. And that's especially true for uh, the, you know, living in, in the electronic world that we live in now. Like, you know, I, I keep thinking about this. I didn't realize you have three kids as well. I have three kids, which is we are saints as parents. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> We're going to give ourselves credit because man, Having three little ones are, are rough, all of mine are seven and below. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. But what I always come back to is how cool it's going to be when they get older that they'll be able to see their lives documented from the time they're little. You know, like, my, you know, my mom always jokes that like there's very few pictures of me from being a kid because she had the old school camera with the, you know, film. I'm dating myself here. And, <clears throat> and uh, like she had a bowl, I guess, of like film of me as a kid that got like, you know, corrupted or, you know, somehow it like it, they never, they, they didn't work out. But now my kids can literally go back and see like every year of their lives as they grow up and see the videos. And, you know, w when my wife and I pass away years and years from now, they'll be able to go back and see all these things, all these videos throughout their entire lives. It's going to be super interesting. And, you know, history wise, you know, there's going to be a lot of cool things going on. In, in that sense. So that leads kind of into my next question, which I think is, is a really interesting uh, one, which somebody who does video, um, you know, for, for a, uh, you know, as they're passionate and for what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you see video fitting into the internet and life and everything moving forward? Cause it seems to just be more and more important. Uh, I mean, I mean, even, even more so in a, a virtual world, actually, you know, I think about my kids. I, I just went to this exercise because me and my wife just had our 10 year anniversary. And, and what I ended up giving her was a um, digital uh, picture frame, one of these really nice ones that you can connect to the internet and you can upload photos to it. And it like hangs on the wall, it looks just like a picture frame. And they even designed the video screen so that it looks like a picture or a painting and it doesn't have like the edge bleed and all that stuff. And so I went right. through this exercise of going back and finding all of our photos and our videos from all of our social media platforms from our, our computer saved and all of that. And I categorized them out and I even took pictures of um, these posts. And I'd like, I actually imagine my children sitting in their psychologist's office, you know, 20 years from now talking about like, you know, all these things that their parents did wrong in their lives. And they like, you like point to exhibit a look at this post where my dad talked about this thing that he just did to me. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's all documented, but I think, you know, life is, life can be so much more immersive for people. If you think about the fact that, you know, I don't have any family in California, all my family lives all over the country. Uh, and I'm able to see them and connect with them daily if I want to, right. And, and I can connect with my friends, I can connect with all of you, and you're living all over the country as well. So I think 
video is the supplier. It's the thing that makes this possible to interact and, and to socially interact and pick, pick up on the emotional cues that we give each other while we're looking at each other. So video does that really well. Actually, what I think is going to happen is it's going to evolve and it's going to become more than video at some point in the future. And I don't know when it's coming because it's going to be, I think it's going to be really drastic for people. I think when Apple comes out with their Google glasses is going to be the first step of when we start to transition into this life of this augmented reality, virtual reality. So everything that we're talking about with video today, imagine it to the nth degree when you can step into a virtual room and you are, you are inside the video, right? The video is all around you. So that's where I see this stuff going. So everything that we're learning today with video is going to be the stepping stone. And if you avoid it, it's going to be so much harder for you to step into the future when augmented reality, virtual reality becomes the norm. There's going to be a generation who grows up thinking about us looking at flat videos on a screen as elementary, like we were cavemen, like we just didn't even understand how immersive we could be with each other without having to leave our houses. You know, and on the flip side, there's going to be a lot of people who are opposed to it, right? There are going to be people who just like during this pandemic, don't tell me I can't go outside, right? Don't tell me I can't do these things. Well, the more and more people push on this side, the more people will push on this side. So I, I do think it's gonna be, video is gonna become this crux or the evolution of video is gonna become this crux that's gonna actually drive a wedge between a lot of people um, in society because you know things like this pandemic, this is just one, but imagine if we had another one two years from now and another one after that, like, what, what does the new normal become? Do we start to say, actually, you know, we can't be outside anymore. We can't be interacting. We, you know, we can't have 20 people in this building anymore. We can have five people in this building, right? And then people are like, ah, oh, just stay home. Um, so I, I don't know exactly where it's going, but I do know that people should pay attention to video today because it's going to give you a lot of cues of what the future is going to be like 10, 15 years down the road when it's augmented reality and virtual reality are the norm and you have to design your ads in there and people don't want to look at pictures anymore. Yeah, that's super, uh, super interesting. Uh, I remember uh, being a little kid going, uh, in, you know, I was up visiting in Seattle and there was a, um, you know, like a, like a, one of the early versions of the VR where you put on the goggles and kind of walk around and stuff and how cool that was. And, you know, it's funny because uh, in my lifetime, I keep hearing how, you know, VR and AR and stuff and all that stuff's going to become reality. And with Oculus and stuff like that, we're definitely getting closer uh, but it is amazing how long it's taken for people to adopt uh, that technology. Um, and I, like you said, I think this event along with some others is, you know, might push that along a little bit further. I know that people, you know, like my parents who've never heard of Zoom or, you know, some of these other technologies are now having to in order yeah. to connect with people outside of, of the home. So that's, uh, that's pretty interesting, uh, yeah. interesting stuff. I mean, if you, if you think about TikTok, TikTok is pretty revolutionary in the fact that it puts creating viral videos in the hands of its creators and it makes it much easier to make viral content as an individual person. But it also gives people a way to augment their reality while they are playing those, right? Like the deep fakes are getting better and better where you just wouldn't even realize that they're, they have a filter on the whole time and they don't actually look like that, right? So these little things warm their way in on the younger generations so that by the time this younger generation comes into the workforce and these new products come out and they have the option 
to, you know, buy, you, you know, the big one that I think is going to be, be it, but I think the, the Apple glasses are going to be the stepping stone to mass people stepping into AR. Um, but after that, it's the non-wearables, right? It's the little device that you just put on your desk and it displays things around your room. And then, then that starts evolving, right? And it gets better and better and better until one day it can completely change everything around your room, just like we do with the Zoom calls with your background right now. But it's actually for you, right? It's like around you. It's like, oh, you don't have to work in your office anymore. You can work on the beach. Boom, here we go, right? Um, so I think we'll start to see those. But I do think it, it's still gonna be slow going because people will resist it. The older generation will resist it. They'll be like, you know, that wasn't how I grew up. That's not how we did things. We went outside, we climbed mountains, you know, we ate dirt. Um, so it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be interesting because there's gonna be so much pushback on this side, but the younger generation is growing up with these tools and they use them for fun. And this is, this is their life, right? This is how they connect with people outside of their normal circle. Um, so I think we'll just see more and more of this change come where, you know, businesses are started around augmented reality and virtual reality, and people start thinking more about how do I have a business that is 100% virtual? I mean, people who sell online, you, you have a virtual business right now, right? And so it's like, you should be really paying attention to what's the future of virtual, because it's going to massively influence the future of your company. Yeah, interesting. Um, are you... Um, <clears throat> So you were talking about wanting to do, or you, or you are going to start doing like short form videos. Um, I know that um, Meg Whitman just, I think she's a, a co-founder of, uh, I think it's called QB, QB, Q-U-I-B-I. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to try to get into that kind of stuff or what, where will you be posting uh, your short content? Um, short I have, content? I have no idea just yet. So the, the, the tricky thing with short form content is getting the funding to actually produce it really well. So if you, but um, Quibi is such a it's, it's a, it's a mainstream platform already, even though they don't ha quite have the audience for it. So for them, they're probably looking more for people who are already established and, and sure. have a name in that game that they can pull in to bring. I mean, it's the same exact thing when you think about it, they're looking for their influencers, right? Their show creators, their directors to pull into their platform to extend its virality. So if you look at these things, they're all, it's like the same pieces, they're just playing at different levels, right? right. Um, but so what I'll do, and this is what I do for anything, by the way, because I used to do this the opposite way where I'd go, I want to make, uh, you know, the next Jaws, right? Um, so I'm going to start doing everything I can to possibly make the next Jaws. When in reality, what I should be doing is saying, how can I do this one thing really well? And then when I get to the end of this one thing, then we'll look at the next thing I need to do. And then the next thing. And then in that way, you're not overwhelming yourself when you're not making jaws yet because you're just not there. So what I'm, what I'm doing right now is I'm taking, uh, I just finished Aaron Sorkin's masterclass on screenwriting. Uh, I'm reading Sid Field's book on screenwriting right now so that I know all of the elements, the context, the, the rules that I'm playing with so that as I start to develop my script, I follow those. And then when I start to get towards the end where I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, this screenplay is really coming together. I really like it then I'll move to uh, submitting to, to film festivals. You can, you can submit just your screenplay so you can see other professionals that are people that are coming in, they're gonna validate, is this good or is this really not good? It still needs work. So that I would go back to that stage, but then, you know, building that network. So doing that, you know, now people have seen it. They may say, ooh, I really like this. Maybe let's talk to this guy about funding or, you know, I'll get into some sort of room or a discussion with somebody where I'm networking and I have that opportunity now. So that's kind of the path I'll follow. So I don't know, exactly how I'll, I'll get to the place where the short film is actually made but i i know 
from enough of doing my own video that it needs a significant budget. A, a short film that's done really well will cost anywhere from five to $10,000 per minute. So if you do a short film, you can do a short film all the way up to 40 minutes. I mean, it's, it's quite expensive. So you still have to get funding basically at this stage. You have to convince somebody to give you money, whether it's a grant because they want to see this thing made or because they think you're going to be able to sell this to Quibi and you're going to make money and they're going to make money off of it. So all these different things I have in the back of my mind, but no idea how I'll get there. Interesting. Very cool. So <clears throat> real quick, you kind of give us an overview of, of, you know, how you help clients come up with videos and things like that. But um, uh, going back to that video with Jake, I, I, like I said, that really uh, caught my eye and, and I've watched the entire thing. I think I watched it two or three times actually, just cause I thought it was so clever. Um, how did you come up with that video with her? Did you just, did you guys just kind of sit down and uh, you know, shoot ideas back and forth? Was it just, did she give you an overview and then you kind of took the reins? Like how did that interaction work? And then how did you shoot and edit it? Was it like high end equipment? Was it just like using iPhones? Like I always, you know, love to hear kind of the, the, you know, how you baked it. Yeah. So when me and Shay pretty, I mean, and by the way, me and Shay are, are just really good friends. So we don't pay each other anything. We just get oh, nice. together every now and then cool. when yeah. we, we can. And, and this is one of those things, like when you build relationships up with certain people, then you can do stuff like this and they, and they want to take part in it because they just like you as a person. Sure. But me, Shay lives out in Miami. I live out in Los Angeles. So we, we actually still get together three or four times a year because either I'm out in Miami or she's out here in Los Angeles. And whenever we do, we say, all right, let's make some content. And, uh, me and Shay make actually completely different types of content from each other. Shay, um, she does, she does a lot of funny, humorous content but hers is usually like herself, right? And so it's just like her, so she can have a writer, she can give them an idea. She can be like, I wanna make fun of uh, salespeople. And then she gives that to the writer, the writer bangs out a bunch of funny one-liners, right? And then Shay delivers those one-liners all over and around different places, kind of like changing the environment. Uh, how I make content is more on the narrative side, so I'll actually want to have like a cast. I'll want to, I'll want to do more like dollar shave club type of stuff. I want to have a lot of different people. I want to have funny things in my, in, in my environment and in the video. Um, so we both actually come up with our ideas completely separately from each other. And when we get together, we just share them and see which ones the other person's interested in collaborating on and helping produce for each other. Uh, so the, the whole Shay idea came out of, I just, I don't know why I just had this idea one day where I'm like, I should make fun of you. <laughs> your, your content's always the same. And I, I feel like I can emulate you really well. So I'm going to, I'm going to make fun of you. Uh, I have a writer. So I, I gave him a couple different funny one-liners and I told him, go and watch a bunch of Shay's content uh, and give me your script. Uh, so he gave me a script. I reviewed it. I added some other little tweaks to it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little insight. We originally designed it to be just like Shay's content where it's just, I'm delivering one-liners about things. Um, and when me and Shay got together, I was like, you know, it'd be really funny is if we set this up like you were directing the whole thing and put that towards the end. Uh, mm -hmm. So people would just think I'm just massively, you know, like crapping on you basically. But then we whip pan the camera over and there you are. And it's like now people get that you were in on it the whole time, uh, which was like the most brilliant idea that we ever had. I don't think the video would have been as successful had we not done that because people would have just thought. <laughs> that I was being rude to Shay right. without that last piece. Um, so then we, we, so we made that just in the moment. And this, I mean, this is a lot of how creative processes go. I mean, if you ever sit in a room with somebody who's designing video content for you, 
they're they're going to brainstorm with you and they're going to shoot ideas off of you. They're going to throw things up on a whiteboard. They're going to see what works, what doesn't work. And then they're going to try to evolve it and keep evolving it until it gets to a place where it's like, man, this works really well. And even when we get to the editing room, uh, we still usually cut probably 50% of what we shot because we are trying to make it snappier. We're trying to make it funnier. And even though it was funny on paper, now when we see the joke live, it's like, oh, it's not quite as funny. Uh, it happens all the time because inside your head, uh, you have context and you have all these other things that are making this funny. But in, if you shoot it and you didn't have that context there, it may not be as funny. Um, so then we go through that process and me and Shay kind of go back and forth. Even on editing, me and Shay would make completely different decisions, right? Um, between like where we pause, where we tighten it up. Almost always whenever I'm editing content for Shay, I'll do all these different changes and then Shay will be like the opposite. She'll be like, okay, tighten these, tighten these, tighten these, short, like make these bigger, make these bigger. So it's a collaboration and it's different every time. Every single person I collaborate with will be a little different. Um, uh, hardware. I shoot on Blackmagic. Everybody who can afford a decent camera should be shooting on Blackmagic in my opinion. They give you the, you know, the quote unquote cinematic look for much. And what is that for those people that, what is shooting on Blackmagic? Put that in um, layman's terms for us. <laughs> yeah, so it is a mirrorless camera. Um, and it's just Blackmagic kind of came out of nowhere with their camera system and their uh, editing suite. So they, they used to start off as just a professional color grading platform. Uh, in Hollywood, a lot of people use this tool specifically for color grading. Uh, they evolve, and because they're a small company, they evolve quickly. So we're already on version six, 16 of the platform to actually do all the editing. Uh, and they've only probably been around for, I don't know, four or five years. So they, they move really quick. Um, and they started off coloring. Then they went to um, special effects. Then they went to an editing timeline. And then they brought in audio. So you can literally do all of that in one system, one application, and it's free. It doesn't cost any money. They just gave it away for free. So anybody can use that platform to edit. Uh, it is a little bit more of a, a, a hungry editing platform. So you, need, like, you can't edit this on a crappy computer. It doesn't have to be like the world's best computer, but it can't be crappy. Um, but so they give that, and then they started coming out with their own cameras. Uh, and so they first came out with this um, pocket cinema camera. It was like 1200 bucks. And they came out with the 4K camera. Again, it was like 1200 bucks. And then they came out with a 6K camera, which is the one that I use. Um, and it, it was 2500 Actually, it's $2,000 now. So, I mean, it's a, it's a decent investment. But this one camera gives you looks that are similar to a RED, what they shoot Hollywood film, like actual movies on. Um, it gives you very good, almost... Um, almost inseparable quality basically from red footage. Like a lot of times if it's been professionally color graded and you showed it to somebody who works in the industry, they would not be able to tell you the difference between the black magic camera that's $2,000 versus the red that's $30,000. So I tell anybody who's, who's going to invest any type of serious money into hardware to go the black magic route, they give you free editing software that's optimized for their tool. And it just looks gorgeous. People will tell you like, this like looks so good. What did you shoot this on? And it's like, it's a black magic. It wasn't that hard. I just pointed and clicked, <laughs> right? Um, well, so that, that is- what can, yeah, we, what can we recommend? So, I mean, I feel like all of this information is awesome and it's gonna be really great for people that are into video editing and stuff. But what about for all of our entrepreneurs who are new brand owners, might wanna dabble a little bit in creating their own videos um, I mean, I love the, the tip of black magic, 
getting started with something like that. Um, but what other tips do you have for people that are just wanting to maybe get started creating their own video for their brand, creating their own, even social media content in video format? Like what's a great way yeah. for them to get started and start to dabble? Uh, well, hardware wise, you know, your phone, like the, like you don't need anything else other than your phone. People make videos on their phone. I, I know somebody made a video on their phone who never even done it before and he made $70,000 for his company um, off the video we shot. So it, it's super easy to do on your phone. There are free editing applications on your phone. So from a technical aspect, you should not even be worried about buying something if you haven't done that part first. What I would recommend is to emulate other people's video content that matches something that you think would work for your company. It's super easy to do. You just watch their video and you go, okay, how do I break this down and figure out, um, you know, what would we call like the context? Like the context is the cup and then the liquid inside the cup is your content. So watch somebody else's video, figure out the context of how that video works and why it makes you want to buy that product. Like the, the, you know, everything from how did they introduce themselves? How did they introduce the product? What did they talk about the product? Did they have an objection that they overcame? How did they close out that video? Figure out all those pieces and then figure out how you do that for your product, right? So now it's like, okay, I need to introduce my product. I need to describe my product. I need to uh, kill an objection. And then I need to close out and tell people what to do next, right? You figure out all of that and you just emulate it on your own. People will forgive crappy shot content, crappy edited content uh, all the time. They really want the information. They want to be entertained. They want all of the stuff that's in your content. You just got to give it to them in the right context, right? And so you can learn that by watching other people who are already succeeding at it uh, and then just copying, you know, straight up steal the structure of what they just did and do it on your own. I love that advice. I think like right there that motivates me to go out and check out some of the other commercials that my competitors have done. And it makes me want to just break it down on my own, kind of storyboard it and go, you know, I can totally do this for my product. And don't forget people, you can use your phone. I use, there's like some really great um, phone video editors that are free. I, I think I use like Filmic Pro and some of these other ones, but anyway, that's really great tips. So speaking of staying motivated, I know you just motivated all of us to give photo, to give video editing a try. How do you stay motivated? Like what podcasts do you listen to? What books do you read? You know, what, what kind of things do you do on a daily basis to stay motivated? Uh, I'm a, I, you know, it's probably unfair, but I'm a naturally motivated person to want to keep learning and growing. And so even though I may not accomplish something uh, daily from an actual output, which is, is, which is really kind of my, my goal. That's when I feel the best. Like when at the end of the day, I can go, boom, I checked that off. I did that. You know, I wrote that scene that I wanted to write that was in my head or I did that thing. Even though I can't do that, if I at least spend a little bit of time doing something that helps me eventually get there, then I can go to bed feeling good about myself. So like I, I subscribe to Masterclass because they have a ton of great content from creative people that I really respect. Uh, I'm in, um, uh, I don't even know what you call these groups, you know, a mastermind group. I'm in a mastermind group with other people who are doing the same stuff that I'm doing. So they get together weekly. Uh, I don't always get on the calls, but when I do, it's like another little motivational pump. I can learn what other people are struggling with, how they're overcoming things that they're struggling with in case something like that comes up in my life. Um, I read books. I read a ton of books. 
uh, I think reading has been probably one of the things that, you know, people seem to forget that if you sit down with a book to really understand it, not to like speed through it and say, you know, I read 200 books this year, but to sit down with the book and to follow it out and then to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this information in this book? So if I'm writing a book on, or I'm reading a book on screenwriting, I don't just read the chapter. I read that chapter and then I go sit down and I write, right? I, I write whatever it was teaching me. I try to do these steps that it was, it was giving me. I talk to my wife about that when I'm done. I do all these things that, that basically cement that knowledge in my head so that when I wake up the next day and I start tackling the next thing, I feel like I'm progressing. Like I took a step, even though I never actually checked anything off my list of things to do. I did do something that felt like I was progressing. So for me, it's always about this constant movement forward. If I, I'm a terrible person at taking vacations because I just like, it feels like I just stopped. And even though I'm like having fun, it's like, I still want to be growing because I'm not where I want to be yet. And I, I never will be, but I like, I want to keep progressing. So anything that I can do, whether it's learning, talking to somebody, reading something, setting down to write, if I'm moving forward, I'm, I'm in a good place. Awesome. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Let people know where they can find you, where they can see some of your work. I dropped a few links in the, in the uh, Zoom chat here, but for those of, uh, those of us listening on the, on the podcast. Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Andrew Helms. Uh, branding on there is a wizard. I'm also on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all the major places, but my, my bread and jam is LinkedIn. So that's the best place to find me. Yeah, I've been on there a lot more. So I, I got uh, shadow banned from Facebook in December. And I, I keep telling people how it's uh, it's been a blessing because I've spent so much more time on LinkedIn and found so many cool people and content like yourself. So thank you so much for coming on again. Really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, if you have not done so yet, please uh, like, rate, subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it, guys. Um, Amy's been pushing out a lot of content. I have plans to do that. I've just been... Uh, having some life difficulties in terms of uh, managing my three little ones, my busy uh, real estate uh, entrepreneur wife, who's been, uh, you know, doing, doing well, even during these times, which is amazing. So we're, we're trying to keep it all together here. Uh, hopefully you guys are doing the same. Thank you so much for joining us guys. And we will see you next time. Remember 1 PM Tuesdays for seller Roundtable. You can go to sellerseo.com forward slash SRT to join us. It's free. You get to ask questions for super smart people like Andrew. Thank you again, Andrew. We'll see you next time. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.